0: Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten From the broadcast to the podcast It is your man DM Cool And welcome to Cool Radio What we doing? Ain't stopping us, ain't no topping us. They be watching us, we so prosperous. Ain't no stopping us, ain't no topping us. They be watching us, we so prosperous. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody. Yes, yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend that the pot is up. The pot is up. The pot is up. The pod is up. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool, and this is another edition of Cool Radio. Now, I got to get a few things out before we begin today's show. So, last week's show, well, there was no show because I didn't upload it. Um, It was recorded. However, I was not happy with the final product of it, and main reason why I was not happy with it was because of the subject matter that I chose. Now, when it comes to the subject matter of cool radio, I always like to choose what's topical, what's trending within the world of hip-hop and pop culture in general, and last week's show, there was a lot of doom and gloom that I was just not happy with. And it's one thing to not be happy with it, but it was also the fact that you could hear it in my voice, or I mean, at least I could hear it, you know, and I'm usually my own worst critic when it comes to uh, recording these episodes and what have you. And basically, I was talking about the verdict with Derek Chauvin. And then I mentioned the case with uh, Micaiah Bryant. Uh, I mentioned the death of Shock G and, and, and uh, Black Rob. And I think the wankster of the week was Doug Ford and his carding situation. But either way, like, the only good bit of news that I had was the versus recap with Method Man and Redman. That was it. Like, it was a doom and gloom episode. And... I don't mind talking about the harsh stuff, the real stuff, the stuff that needs to be discussed. But I like to do everything in, in fragments and increments and what have you. I like to just splash in, you know, the pretty with the ugly, so to speak. And last week's episode was all ugly. Like, even after I recorded it, I was not feeling it. Like, I didn't even take this. I didn't even edit it. I didn't even bother editing it. because I, I just knew right there and then I was not going to upload this. Like, it did not sit well with me. So, that one is discarded. It is never. It will never be. It'll never see the day of light. And I just thought that you, as the listeners, deserved better. So I decided not to uh, upload that episode. But with that being said, um, I do apologize for leaving you guys hanging with no episode at all. Um, that's definitely not gonna happen this week because I have a much better Slate episode. Um, to basically pontificate upon and digest upon and all that good stuff. So on this week's episode, uh, the Mic Check segment of the week will be the reunion of the Joe Budden Podcast. So Rory and Mal uh, are back on the the pod, and I'm going to get into a few things um, with regards to that pod, that episode specifically, that kind of irked me. So we're going to get into that later on. We're also going to discuss the new collaboration between, or the new collaboration track, I should say, between Jay Z and Nas on DJ Khaled's album. We're also going to discuss the rumor mill that involves J. Cole, Drake, and Kendrick Lamar. We're also going to talk about uh, there's no, oh yes, uh, Willow Smith. Willow Smith was on an episode of Red Table Talk, and she was discussing how she is now polyamorous. So we're gonna get into that. And the Wanksta of the week, of course. Uh, that one is. <laughs> Oh, politicians, I tell you. I'll leave it at that. I will leave it at that. But before we get into that, you already know that I got some stuff to get off of my chest. So with that being said, it is time to let that-ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe! By the way, totally random, I love strawberry banana smoothies. They are so refreshing, especially after a workout. My God, love them. Anyways, that's besides the point. That's either here or there. What I want to talk about, just to get the show started, actually, and I probably should have talked about this last week since this film came out last week, but I've had a week to sit with it now. I've had a week to digest it, take it in. I watched it four times, and I loved every, well, can't say I loved every minute of it, but I loved the fact that I spent four viewings of this film. And this film that I'm talking about Resonates near and dear to my nerd heart And ladies and gentlemen I'm talking about Mortal Kombat Mortal Kombat Damn that's the best one I've ever done Actually shit You know I'm not even going to repeat that I'll let that one sit (laughs) But yes Mortal Kombat (laughs) Mortal Kombat The 2021 version of Mortal Kombat Was released on April 23rd I believe And I rented that I rented that bad boy Um I think that was actually the first time I've actually rented a newly released film. Because usually, you know, in this climate, you just go out and you go to theaters and everything. I know some theaters in America are open. In Canada, I mean, at least in Ontario, I don't think there are any theaters that are open. Can't speak for the rest of the nation, but in the province of Ontario, I don't think that's the case. But nonetheless, I watched Mortal Kombat. I rented it. I saw it. Four times, actually. I saw it four times. I saw it three times at the opening weekend. Um, and I watched it by myself the first time. The second time I watched it uh, with some friends that I had over. Two friends, socially distanced, of course. Um, and I watched it a third time with my dad. And after watching it the first three times in theaters, or sorry, not in theaters, in, um, on that opening weekend, rather, in my home, come from my own living room. I have to say that overall, I was pleased with it. Overall, the first time I saw it, I was left with a lot of questions. I was like, yeah, I don't know. But then I found that I enjoyed it on the second viewing. Maybe that was because I was with friends. Maybe that was because I knew what to expect now that I'd already seen it. But overall, I thought it was it was a decent watch. I I was pleased with the overall, but it was a decent watch. Nonetheless, Uh, I'm not going to get into spoilers, by the way. I will not get into spoilers. Um, I'm sure there's a few people out there who have yet to see it. It's probably on their to do list. So I will not give out any spoilers. But yeah, essentially, the movie based on the popular video game video game uh, was released in 1992, apparently or not apparently. But it definitely was released in 1992 and it was the first game or it was the game that launched what's called the ESRB rating, which is the music equivalent of the parental advisory rating. Right. Because it was so violent at the time. Now, if you look at the game right now, like the 1992 game right now, and you see the violence in there. The violence is cartoony at best. Now, if we're talking about the most recent games, like the ones I've come out with in the last 10 years, those games are a gore fest. Like, if you're into gore porn, that is your jam right there. Some of them are just like, they went they went willy-nilly with it. Like, wow. But that is the essence of Mortal Kombat. That's what people came to see. They want to see high-octane martial arts action, and they want to see gory finishing moves. And that's essentially what this movie was about. So the plot is very simple. Um, me explaining the plot does not spoil the movie for you at all because when you're coming into a Mortal Kombat movie, even going back to the original one back in 1995, you're not going in for the plot. You're not going in for amazing dialogue and writing and writing as a whole. You're going in for martial arts action, a few quips here and there, and then some gory fatality finishes. That's it. That's it. That is Mortal Kombat right there. And the main plot of the movie is that there's a a struggling fighter who goes by the name of Cole Young who is struggling, kind of down on his luck, but he still has his family by his side. Um, But basically, he has what seems to be a birthmark on himself, and this birthmark is linked to a tournament which is called Mortal Kombat. Now, he's not the only person with this mark. There are other people who have the mark as well, and the mark means that you're chosen to compete in Mortal Kombat or that you're slated to compete in Mortal Kombat. So that is basically the the plot of the film, and he has to find other fighters like him with that mark to join forces so that they can fight for Earth Realm. And they're fighting against the demons and the sorcerers and other warriors from a world called Outworld. What to do? Not the most creative name, but hey, it's Mortal Kombat. Um, and the fighters of Outworld are there to basically kill the the heroes of, out, of of Earthrealm before the, the, the tournament even begins. That's not a spoiler. I promise you that is not a spoiler. Now, here are my pros of the film. My pros of the film is that there is a lot of fan service. So if you're somebody who is familiar with the Mortal Kombat games, whether you play the, the old school games in the 90s or you've played every single game up until now, there are a lot of Easter eggs for you. And Those Easter eggs give you plenty of fan service. So there'll be references to games of the past. There'll be references to characters within other games, uh, characters who may have not have made this film, like made it into this film. But because that Easter egg is there, it lets you know that they still exist within this universe, so to speak, and that they could be in another movie should another movie be greenlit. Um, you have those Easter eggs for you. You also have sign- signature catchphrases like finish him, fatality, flawless victory. They're all in there. Again, no spoilers. They- they're all in there. They even see a couple of them in the trailer as well. So they're all in there for you. And then, yes, yeah, speaking of fatalities, um, they are there. So that kind of leads into my next point, the action. Um, the action is a pro, definitely. The action was very good. The first... 10 minutes of the movie, they grip you in with the action. Like They let you know, we are not messing around. This is Mortal Kombat. And the first fight in the film is one of the most compelling fights because of the story that goes along with it as well. Um, they even released the first seven minutes of the movie on, on YouTube, like official release. So if you haven't seen it, you can go see that now for yourself. Um, it's definitely very compelling, and, and, they, and they grab you in. Mind you, I did not watch that before... Um, the movie came out. I did not. I because I figured it came out that that first that first seven ten minutes it came out during the release of the film anyway, or before the release of the film like during that week. So I figure okay, an extra two or three days is not gonna is not gonna hurt if I continue to wait. So I'm just gonna wait and see it all in its glory. And also the movie is about like the runtime. It's an hour and fifty minutes. But if you take away ten minutes because of like the credits and what have you, you're looking at like maybe an hour and 40 minutes of actual color, of actual screen time for, for the actual film itself. So you wanna savor every little bit that you get. And, and the movie goes by very fast, but I'll mention that later. So once again, um, the action, action is, is pretty solid. Um, a lot of the characters who are the expert martial artists, they definitely stand out. Joe Taslim as Sub-Zero, One of if not the best character in the entire film arguably arguably the best written character in the film Uh, He definitely gives off horror movie vibes, and I love that like this is easily the best iteration of sub-zero that I've ever seen um, outside of the video game Easily and they and Joe Taslim was was a spot-on casting choice because he is so solid if you have not seen the raid If you have not seen the night comes for us all which is on Netflix by the way Please watch that. That movie is sick. Both of those movies are sick. He's also in the HBO Max series called Warrior. Please watch that show. One of the best shows on TV that nobody's talking about right now. It is so criminally underrated. Please watch that. Um, you have Hiroyuki Sanada as Scorpion. Literally, this actor is in almost every samurai movie that you can think of. He was even in Avengers Endgame for, for maybe a minute or two. due to solid as Scorpion. Perfect casting choice for Scorpion. Um, and then you have other characters like Liu Kang, uh, Kung Lao, Sonya Blade. They provide a lot of good action scenes. And some of the action scenes that they're in are are like jaw-dropping. Like I would say, you know what? I'm not even going to say that actually because that's a spoiler. That's a spoiler. But put it this way. A lot of the characters, they, they have their moments as far as action goes. But one character in particular has by far the best finishing move in the entire movie. I'm not going to say who. But when you see it. You're going to know exactly who I'm talking about. And what I'm talking about. Because when I saw it. I was like oh. Oh no. Oh oh, oh shit. Oh shit. Shit. Damn. Whoa. <laughs> Literally that was me when I saw that scene. From that particular character. So when you see it. You'll know exactly who I'm talking about and what I'm talking about. But yeah, the action was pretty solid. Um, and I thought the portrayals of, of the majority of the characters were pretty solid amongst the actors as well. Now, my cons. My cons for the movie were, are as follows. So I felt that the Cole Young character, the new character that was added into the film as the lead protagonist... I thought that character was a bit underdeveloped, and it sounds weird to say because he is the main character of the film, and he the character's—he's the audience guide to the movie for anyone who has never seen or played Mortal Kombat before. And when I say seen, I'm talking about seeing movies from the past and what have you. So he was—he is was basically the audience avatar in a sense. Louis Tan, the actor who plays him, I'm a fan of Louis Tan. He was in the first season of of Iron Fist, one of the one of the episodes. Uh, he was also in Wu Assassins and he was also in Into the Badlands. Um, and I feel like there's one more thing I've seen him in, but it's not coming to me right now. But nonetheless, I'm a fan of Louis Tan. Um I don't think he I don't think he underdelivered in his portrayal as Cole Young. I think the character, in terms of the way the character is written, it wasn't it, it didn't leave much to the imagination, in my opinion. I felt like that character could have been written better and it would have it, it would have served uh, Tan's talents as, as a charismatic figure a lot better had they had given him a bit more of a personality, a bit more of a swagger, if you will. So that's my one con. Um, my other con is that the pacing and the editing was a little off, in my opinion. So when we're talking about the fights, for example, the fights were good. But I felt like when it came to the fights, for, for the most part, we didn't get to spend enough time with the fights. And not only did we not get to spend enough time with most of the fights, but I felt like when it came to most of the fights, they all happened simultaneously. So it's almost like a Royal Rumble situation where you had like multiple fights happening at the same time, and then they would cut to one fight, and when they cut to one fight, there were multiple angles and, and jump cuts that, were, that they were going into one fight, and then after 30 seconds, they would go into another fight, and the same thing over and over again, and so on and so forth. And it felt very rushed very very rushed and as a fan of Mortal Kombat and as a fan of martial arts films you love to see these fights elongated because again you're telling a story within the fight but if you're just rushing through it it's almost like you're skimming through a book so pardon me I I felt like I didn't get enough time with the fights essentially and it was just really weird how, how they paced it out so I felt like if they just had let the fights breathe and let one fight take place after the other we would have been much better off for it in my opinion so that's my that's my other knock on the film and then i would say one more knock on the film i I would say would would just be there's a lot of plot holes in in there and and again i i probably said this 10 minutes ago that you're not watching (laughs) mortal kombat for the plot and 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 immaculate writing and storytelling but there are certain plot holes where i'm just like okay like Come on, guys. Like, let's not be lazy with it. Like, let's have it make some sort of sense. You know what I mean? Because there's sometimes where, like, one person would say something that can and cannot happen. But then that thing that they said that cannot and cannot happen, it either did or didn't happen. And I'm just like, wait, you just said that this was not supposed to happen. But then it did. So what are we doing? So that was my other gripe with the film. But overall, overall, I think that as a film for 2021, Uh, like a revamped version of Mortal Kombat for 2021. I think this one was... I think this is more for the fans of the product. If you're a casual... Pardon me. If you're a casual moviegoer and you know next to nothing about Mortal Kombat, I would say it's going to be 50-50 for you. But for me, as someone who is a fan of the product, who's been a fan since day one, it's literally one of the first ever video games I ever played. Um... I would say that in terms of the portrayal of the characters, it was pretty spot on. Um, also, Kano, God, wow, dude is mad funny. Like, you're talking about comic relief. Man, he had the best dialogue in the entire film. No one can tell me anything. But yeah, in terms of character um, character portrayals, like in terms of the look and the aesthetic, I thought it was pretty spot on for a lot of the characters, maybe one or two characters It could have been a bit better, but it wasn't totally off or or anything like that. But, yeah, overall, I would give this movie, like, if we're going from a scale between 1 to 10, i give it anywhere between, like, a 7 to a 7.5. It's it's within that range. It's within that range. I would just say, you know, for the next movie, let's spend more time with the fights. Like, let the fights play out. Let's have – let's just focus on one fight and then go to the next fight and then go to the next fight, so on and so forth, Rather than having multiple fights happening at the same time. Like, I would understand if you're facing off against, like, faceless henchmen and stuff like that, then cool, sure. But if you're fighting against certain figures who mean something, who actually have names, who actually have dialogue, and who are somewhat integral to the plot, then let's have those fights last a bit longer, and let's have them happen separately, Rather than just having one big giant melee. that's That would be my main critique. But I would say the climatic fight at the end was a, a really good fight. It was a really good fight. I enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, anywhere between a 7 to a 7.5 is what I would give this new Mortal Kombat. And I hope if there is a new movie, or not a new movie, but if they do get the green Greenlight Force sequel based on the numbers that they're pulling in, which are very good numbers, by the way, considering the climate that we're in. Um, then I would say they have a large opportunity to work on the things that they didn't quite hit on the head so that the movie can be a lot more enjoyable for both the hardcore fans and the casual fans going forward. Because I think there's potential for a franchise. I'm not saying it's going to be the next Uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe although I do have my ideas on that but I will save that for maybe another pod if we want to nerd out but nonetheless if you want to make it a sequel series like Fast and the Furious then there's definitely a wealth of potential for that so I would say you know subvert your expectations on plots and dialogue and stuff like that and just go into it like a popcorn flick you're here to see action um, you're here to see gory and bloody violence um, and you're here to get some witty banter here and there throughout the film just go into it with those expectations and you'll be fine but yeah i would say a seven to a seven and a half out of ten but for the people who have watched uh mortal combat what do you all think let me know hit me up on all my socials dm underscore cool or cool radio cc and let me know now let's get into the mic check segment of the week we are going to talk about the Joe Budden Podcast for a second And Recently There was a reunion of sorts that took place On the Joe Budden Podcast And the reunion was between His co-host Rory and Maul Now for those who don't know Rory and Maul Have been co-hosts Of the Joe Budden Podcast For a number of years now I don't know exactly how long they've been uh, the co-hosts of the of the pod, well, it's been quite some time. It's been a number of years. Let's just put it that way. And these people have had a relationship with Joe Biden for quite some time as well, A friendship, if you will. And there have been some issues happening, specifically specifically with Rory and Joe. And this has been well documented all throughout uh, the internet. You know, people have been talking about it. And they were not on the pod for about. At least a month. I think one of them mentioned it was six weeks. Let's just say a month at the very least. And so they finally reunited um, on last week's pod. And they were discussing, for the first hour and a half, actually, they were discussing a lot of the issues that one another had with Joe. And from Roy's perspective, he felt that he wasn't being respected as a friend. And he said how his treatment on the show uh, was very questionable at certain points. And before he laid out this testimony, I remember one of the last episodes that I remember listening to him on. And I'm talking about Rory here, uh, was the episode where they were talking about the interview that uh, uh, Meghan Markle did with Oprah. And they were just going in on the royal family, and he was just cussing at the royal family. He like f the royal family, they ain't shit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, which I agree 110. percent But Roy was fired up. Like I have never seen Roy like that before in my life. I mean, maybe once in a while, depending on the topic of the conversation. But he was fired up. He was ready to go, and it's it sounded like he had some pent up frustration. Even Joe, who was easily the most emotional person on that show. Noticed it, and he made point. He made a point of it as well, and I think beforehand they were talking about um, certain things that Roy didn't like about the Joe bunn podcast, as opposed to other podcasts that Joe has within his network. And so there's one show that Roy was on, and it was a all female podcast. I can't remember the name of it. I think it was. See, here's the thing. I think I could be totally wrong on that but i think it was see here's the thing and on that podcast apparently they they basically treated him like an actual guest like they there was catered food and and a, a whole bunch of you know perks that that you know w- that were very endearing whereas on the Joe Bonam podcast he made it he made a slight joke about him just only getting a bag of chips and that was it and the joke was very tongue in cheek but that right there kind of let me know. I'm like, oh, is is there something happening right now? Like, am I reading too deep into it? And then they go into the Mega Mark conversation and he was heated um, more than usual. And then a week later, he's not on the pod. And then the next week after, Mal is not on the pod. And I'm like, okay, something is going on. Something is awry, to say the least. So at this point now... Maul is basically stating how he didn't like how Joe handled the situation with Rory. Because Joe basically said to Rory in a text that he should not come to the podcast for a while. And he felt that that wasn't Joe's call to make on his own. Rather, that should have been a collective thing. It should have been a collective thing between all three of them and Parks, who's their uh, engineer, basically. And he didn't like that, so he kinda of took a stand on that and said, Well, you know what, I'm not if that's how you're gonna be running things on the show, then I won't be coming as well. So he decided to not be on the pod for the next little bit. So during that entire time, you know, Joe had a couple other people fill in for that for that role essentially as co host, and then eventually they came back to the show and then they aired out their grievances on the air. And those are a couple of the things that they said. So I'm listening to all of this, and and mind you, it's like an hour and a half. um, This portion of the discussion, at least. But one of the things that stood out that really disturbed me was when Rory and Mal stated that as Joe's friends, Joe owes them respect, which I agree with, because like if I'm not your friend or sorry if you don't respect me then why are we friends you know but then Joe says I don't owe you anything I don't I don't owe you friendship but then in the next breath Joe was quick to say that he has no problem giving respect to a stranger so hold on so you have no problem giving respect to a stranger but then you feel like you don't owe your friends respect They're your friends for a reason. Like, they're your friends because you respect them and they respect you. Like, that's essentially, in that context, how a friendship works. Like, you you share respect for one another based on the things that you do for one another. You support one another, you know, whether it's through a venture that you're going through and they want to support you in that way, Um, if they want to give you advice, whatever the case may be. If they're showing acts of loyalty and you're doing it and you're doing the same thing, then there is a mutual respect that is exchanged between you two. And once that is reciprocated consistently, then respect at that point is, a, is basically a prerequisite. It's expected and it should be expected. Otherwise, why are you friends? And this is the thing about Joe Budden that really irks me. We have seen a track record of Joe Budden's toxicity for a number, <laughs> pardon me, a number of years now. Whether it's through his friendships, through his romantic relationships, or through his business relationships, you know, whether it's with Complex or Spotify or anything like that. We have seen a level of toxicity from Joe that has him alienating other people. And it's not like hearsay or anything like that. This is well documented. We've seen this for the last decade. The last decade. Wherever Joe Budden goes, a black cloud follows him. He is drama incarnate. He is toxic incarnate. This is well documented from Joe. Now, I'm not saying anything about him as a recording artist or as a podcast host. He has been brilliant in both of those spaces. Not criticizing any of those whatsoever the track record speaks for itself but if we are talking about track records then we have to point out the fact that joe doesn't know how to manage relationships whether a whether they be friendship romantic or business wise he just he just doesn't like if we're talking about romantic relationships his relationship with Tahiri was a fail. His relationship with other women has been a fail, especially what we've seen out of, you know, love and hip-hop. The fact that this man has put his hands on other women repeatedly is a clear indication that he is in no position to be in a in a romantic relationship whatsoever. But that's just one example, okay? Then if we go into friendships... And trying to fuse that in with um, with business relationships. There was a female host that he once had on his podcast who was also a music or not music, but a, a, a personality for Hot 97. And that was one of the most viewed videos from Hot 97's YouTube channels because he basically dismissed her claims of him basically mistreating her. And not being upfront with her about how he wanted to handle the podcast. And this is somebody who helped get his podcast off the ground running. And when he decided that he he no longer had any use for her, instead of respectfully saying that they should part ways, he just sent her a text message saying, I don't want you on the podcast anymore. And this is somebody who helped you get your pod off the ground. Someone that you considered a friend and you're now telling them that you don't want them to have anything to do with the pod anymore. That, that's kind of nutty i'm sorry that's kind of nutty like that's that's a shit thing to do it's a very piece of shit thing to do in my opinion so there's that and then when it comes to his business re- relationships i feel like and this is something that Charlemagne the god said and he's now making Charlemagne the god look like nostradamus but he basically said how when it comes to joe budden he doesn't know how to negotiate his worth So I agree that if you feel like you are worth something or you're worth more than what they're offering, then, of course, you should prove otherwise that you are worth the number that you are fighting for. But if you don't know how to negotiate that number and you go about it the wrong way, then you are just not good at handling business. It's as simple as that. Cough, cough, Monique. And Joe Bunn is in that same category as well. It's like how many bridges have you supposedly burned over the years you know whether it's with hot 97 whether it's with complex whether it's with spotify i mean is patreon next if patreon gives him a number or gives him an ultimatum that he's not necessarily happy with is he gonna say fuck patreon now and from what I've been researching, he has a pretty good position with, with Patreon. And so I would hate for him to kind of burn that in flames as well. And it's interesting because he was once telling a story about Jay-Z, about how Jay-Z slighted him and Rory Amal laughed. He was telling a story about how they were all at the Hammerstein Ballroom for some event, And he was getting ready to air his grievances towards Jay because apparently this is the first time in years that he had spoken to Jay. And so he's basically telling Jay about how he felt about how the situation at Def Jam and Rockefeller turned out. And how Jay took one of his beats and used it as his own. Meanwhile, Joe wanted to use that beat for a single. And just told him how his whole situation over there, he didn't like it. It was unfavorable. And after he was done telling him about all of that, Jay-Z was like, so? And he mentioned how Rory and Mal laughed. Joe, after explaining that story, said that that's how he felt when Rory and Mal were explaining how they felt about their treatment at the hands of Joe. Joe basically said, Okay, I'm not giving you respect. You feel like my respect is owed? Okay, so? So what? And here's the thing about Joe. This is where I call Joe's hypocrisy into play because Joe, through podcasts and through his music, has always stated how you know industry tastemakers and executives and what have you are all bullshitters because they screw you over, they put their thumb over you, and you have no leverage and you can't do anything, and you feel weak and you feel powerless. He has basically said that message all throughout his avenues and platforms, whether it be podcasts. Or his music, or even his YouTube videos, but now, ironically enough, he is the one with that power and gives no fucks about how he uses it or abuses it. And the thing that Joe doesn't understand is that when it came to that situation, situation with Jay Z, Jay Z is not his friend or anything like that. There is no fami- There's no sense of fam- f- familiarity between those two in that capacity this isn't Dame dash this isn't kareem burks this isn't tata or tai tai rather this isn't guru this isn't even kanye jay-z is your label boss he's your executive you you do not have a personal relationship with jay-z maybe you viewed him as a mentor of some sort but in your mind it was never established between the two that you guys have that some sort of kinship at all whereas Rory and Mal are your friends. They are your friends that you chose to do business with as well. So if you really wanted to exercise that power that you've been thirsting for because other people exercise it on you, then maybe you shouldn't have hired your friends in the first place. Because when you mix business with friendship and you do it to that capacity to where you want to call the shots and throw your weight around... That you're going to fracture, at the very least, if you're lucky, best case scenario, you're going to fracture the friendship that you have with those two individuals, or anyone else for that matter. And it's bad enough that he does this to Roy Mal, but he goes on to another podcast, which is which is in his network, and it's the all-female podcast that I was referring to, and he actually calls one of the women on the show a bitch, You're going on to an all-female podcast, and you're calling one of the female hosts a bitch, repeatedly. And all because of why? Because you guys are friends? I mean, shit, I don't think I've ever called any of my female friends a bitch before. Maybe once, but like, as a joke, if anything. But even then, to do that on a podcast where some people may not be in on the joke... And on top of that, I mean, if there is a joke, if there, even if that, and by the sound of her reaction, I don't think there was a joke at all. And you just 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 dismiss it, be like, yeah, so what, whatever. And again, that's supposed to be one of your friends, but because that's within your podcast network, you feel like you can just throw your weight around like that. It's funny. There is, I find that there's a difference between being a boss and feeling like a boss. So if you are a boss, like you you run your own company, whatever, whatever that company may be, you already know you're the boss. You don't have to throw your weight around. I mean, if you have to discipline somebody for for a specific reason, if it needs to be done, then cool, sure. If it has to be done, it has to be done. But you don't need to have the self reminder that you that you are the boss. It's, it comes with the job. You already know that. The people around you already know that. And if somebody tries to question on you question you on that, then that's when you can flex. But then when it comes to feeling like a boss, there are people who are in that boss position, but because they are the boss and because there's a sense of insecurity within those people, then that's when they feel like they have to flex that muscle. Then that's when they have to throw their weight around just to remind people who the hell they are. It's no different than studying on the gram. It's like the people who are billionaires but you would never guess it because they just wear the most basic clothes that they got from like maybe i don't know what's a cheap store maybe like h&m or whatever the case may be but then there are those people who are like at best millionaires and they have the ferraris and the jewelry and the tailor-made clothing and all the all the gaudy stuff that's associated with high society that comparison is very is very akin to what feeling like a boss is like in that in that sense. Where, where your ego has to be inflated to feel like you are about something, to make others recognize you as being about something. And that's what I see with Joe Budden. Because with Joe Budden, for the first leg of his career he has never had that power that he could just exercise he's never had that before but now now that he's in a position where he's employing people and he's creating his own podcast network and what have you now he feels like oh i can just throw my weight around i don't care what you think about it, I'm the boss, what other executives did to me, now I'm doing on to other people. And the worst thing about it is that he's doing it to people that he considers his friends, and he feels as though he doesn't owe them any respect just on the basis of being their friend, which I think is absolute bullshit. Absolute bullshit, in my opinion. And this just goes to show, it just goes to show how toxic of an individual Joe Budden is and always has been. Like, you know, the the, the term hurt people hurt people. Joe is a prime example of that. Now, there's one thing that Joe did say that I will agree with him on. And he did say that when it comes to a show, it's more than just a two day a week thing. Because to us as the listeners, we hear the Joe Budden podcast twice a week. But for him, it's all about um, making the business deals, um, making sure that you know the people who are employed under him are getting paid, um, getting deals done with the likes of, of Spotify and and uh, what you may call it, Patreon and sponsorships and what have you. So for him, this is all he has. Like this is his career. He's not a rapper anymore. Podcasting is his career now. His podcast network is his career. So on that front, I understand. I empathize with them, mainly because of the fact that not only is that his livelihood now, but because of the fact that I can somewhat relate. Like when it comes to cool radio, like you all listen to this maybe once a week, and that's it. For me, it's like a seven day. It's like a seven day a week thing process for me. It's like I record the pod, I edit it, do the social media blast, um, research the stories that that I want to cover throughout the week. Uh, reach out to guests throughout the week as well, edit the videos as well, post the videos, uh, create little video clips on Instagram, all that stuff, so from that standpoint, I can understand where he's coming from, because it's not just record two episodes a week, and that's it, no, it's everything that, that happens behind the scenes and what have you, so I understand that, but apart from that, I just I don't think he 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 learned anything from this entire ordeal. I think Joe is going to be Joe. He has been Joe for this entire time, and he's not gonna change. And if there's anyone out there who is expecting him to change, then you are sadly mistaken. Because it's just not gonna happen. Joe has been Joe for however long now, as far as we've known him through through the public eye. And no matter how many times that he has has cut his friends short. Or has not treated them with any decency of respect. This is what comes with the Joe Biden territory. Now, he is the boss and he can do whatever he wants as far as, you know, business is concerned. But if you want to treat your employees like this, then don't bring your friends into business. Hire contractors. Hire people who are going to work part time. You know, if there's somebody who's out there, you know, on Kijiji or whatever the case may be. You know, looking at looking for a job as a as a co-host for your pod, then just do that then. And then you can throw your weight around however way you want to see fit because at the end of the day, you have no obligation to be their friend or what have you because you don't know them in that in that lens. Your relationship with them is strictly on a business level. But when it comes to Rory and Mal, those are your friends. They are your friends. they add a particular dynamic to the show that w- that would surely be lacking if it was just Joe Budden talking on the show for three hours straight. I mean, that's a long time to be talking, man, for three hours. And that's with all three of them you know, talking, and then Parks as well. But to have just Joe talking with Parks adding his little ad-libs here and there and what have you, a little bit of commentary here and there, I don't know if the viewership would, would still be the same. I mean, case in point, that's why he had two other co-hosts fill in for him for, for the four to six weeks. Because had it just been him, there's no way he would have been able to carry it for that long. Or to bounce, you know, there, there, there would have been no one to bounce off uh, opinions on back and forth. It would just be him. And we know how Joe likes to ramble on and stray away from the topic of conversation from time to time. So I think he really needs to do a better job of recognizing the value that Rory and, Rory and Mal have towards the show. You know, Mal has a very laid back approach um, and, and casual approach, I would say, to any topic that they discuss. Whereas Rory is a very analytical person who is going to be very pragmatic about whatever it is they're talking about. Personally, Rory is my favorite out of the show. But it's those dynamics that help center and balance Joe when they're talking about their their weekly topics and what have you. And so, I think he needs to recognize that, he needs to understand that. And I think Joe needs to stop taking his friends for granted because the track record is there. It's it's there. It, you can't deny it at this point. So, that's my opinion on, you know, Joe Budden and and this whole entire ordeal. What do y'all think about it? I'm really curious to get your thoughts. Again, hit me up on on, on my socials and let me know. All right. Let's get into Trip Talk now. Three of the latest topics that are taking place within pop culture throughout the week, hip-hop culture, and all, that, all the good stuff in between. So let's get to it. First topic I want to talk about is the new record that was released by DJ Khaled. It features Jay-Z and Nas and James Frantuloy, uh, which is entitled Sorry Not Sorry. Um, I listened to the track. I saw the music video for it as well. I like it. You know, I feel like anytime time Jay-Z and Nas link up for a record, it's an event, right? Ever since Jay-Z's I Declare concert back in 2005 where he announced that he was going to basically start another rap beef, but really he didn't. Instead, he wrapped up quite possibly and arguably the greatest rap beef of all time, and that was between him and Nas. Um, so that moment for me was a chilling moment to see. This is back when I was in high school, and I was like, wow, they actually ended their feud. Like, that's amazing. And ever since then they came out with records together. Like not not every single thing they did was together, but every now and again they they put out a record. So I think the first record they did, they did together was Black Republican which was on Nas's Hip Hop Is Dead album. Then they did Success on Jay-Z's American Gangster album. Uh they did BBC on Jay-Z's um what was it? It was a Holy Grail album from 2013. Um, they also linked up on Ludacris' album um, for the record "I Did It for Hip Hop" on Theater of the Mind. Uh, I think that's all the records they linked up on. I could be wrong, but if I am, please let me know. But yeah, I like the record. It was cool. You know, Jay Z or sorry Nas with the storytelling, Jay Z with the wordplay. Um, it's what I expect from those two. Um, the beat was solid. I loved every mo- moment of it. And it makes people wonder, you know, will Jay-Z and Nas ever do an album together? Uh, will there be an EP at the very least? And to be honest, if they, were, if they are to never collaborate on an album, an EP, or any type of project together, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. And I'll tell you why I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it because I don't want the feeling of them doing a track together to go away i don't want it to feel expected i don't want it to feel mundane or regular because anytime they link up for a record i'm like oh jay-z and Nas, okay cool let me see what they have but if i get an ep or an album with them together it's like after i'm done listening to it i'm like okay i'm good you know what i mean like it's like eh, i'm good cool All right they did a record they, they did a whole album together okay i never need to hear this again or anything like that again. I'm good. So if I get like little increments of that, I'm okay. I'm very okay with that. And I feel like that's probably the reason why Kendrick Lamar and and Jay Cole have yet to release their much-awaited super project uh, together. They've always teased it. They've done records on each other's on on each other's tracks, like freestyles and what have you. But we've actually never heard them on a record together where they were trading bars. The closest thing that we have is the record that J. Cole did on J. Cole's album uh, Born Sinner with Kendrick Lamar. I'm actually trying to remember the name of the record because it's been so long since I heard it. I think it was called Forbidden Fruit. I think it was called Forbidden Fruit. They, they flipped the uh, electric relaxation sample from a tribe called Quest. And all we got was Kendrick Lamar on a hook. That was it. And it's like, you bastards. You bastards. Like, yeah, technically it's J. Cole featuring Kendrick Lamar, but you bastards. Like, you know that you two are two of the three hottest rappers of your generation. And you know that y'all have been teasing the, this collaboration of sorts for, a well, not at that point, but right now, a decade. But back then it was like 2013. But even then, we were still at a fever pitch with that. And all we get is the majority of verses being from J. Cole and then a hook from Kendrick. Boo earns. come on now. Give us what we want. So going back to Jay-Z and Nas, I'm okay if they never collaborate on an album or an EP together. I'm okay with that. I'm totally fine with that. I have no qualms about that whatsoever. I'm good with that. So that's my take on it overall good record solid record check it out if you haven't it's pretty solid and let me know what you think as well hit me up on my socials at dm underscore cool or coolradiocc radio cc and let me know because i think it's i think it's a gem i think it's a gem indeed now speaking to j cole and kendrick they sort of made headlines this week as well as drake because apparently all three artists are rumored to be dropping their projects in may We are currently in May now, ladies and gentlemen. And it would be interesting to see all three of them drop. I don't know if that will happen. I mean, could we see a week where all three of them drop on the same day? Yeah. I think for the culture, that would be dope. Because you'd be like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. All three of them on the same day. This can't be life. But if we're talking about all three of them on the same day, then we're talking about a sales war. And depending on the label situations you know i'm trying to think you know where everyone is situated at i don't think any label head would want that because now you're losing out on or the idea i should say is that you're losing out on record sales because you're now sharing a release date with a particular artist that's why some of your favorite artists will release their albums months away or weeks away at the very least uh, from another artist within their genre, because they don't want their sales to be eaten eaten into by that other artist in question. Now, if this is like a Kanye versus Fifty Cent situation, then that's totally different because that sales war thing benefited both of them. Now, mind you, when Jay or sorry, when uh, Fifty Cent came out with the Curtis album, it was his lowest sales week ever at that point because he did about six hundred K, which is still phenomenal but for 50 standards you gotta remember it the first his first album get rich or die trying did 822,000 copies in the first week and then did 800,000 copies the second week he basically it took him two weeks to go platinum and then his second album uh the massacre went platinum in a week <laughs> you know so 600k is low for 50 at that time and then kanye did about 900 957k that week Now, the thing to remember is that 50 Cent was on Interscope and Kanye was on Def Jam at the time. Both Interscope and Def Jam are under Universal. So all those record sales were benefiting Universal music regardless. So they both made money. They both made money for themselves and they both made money for their parent record labels. Now, in this scenario where you have Drake j cole and kendrick lamar it may be a bit different now i know drake and kendrick lamar ultimately are under universal because drake is signed to uh universal republic he's no longer with cash money it's directly through universal republic now and kendrick lamar is signed to interscope Rec- record slash top dog entertainment and which i already established that interscope is with Um, is with universal now j cole is eh, j cole is a bit different because j cole is with uh rock nation now i'm not exactly sure who the parent company of rock nation is i'm not sure I, i to be honest i've never looked into that I don't know if it's under Universal, I don't know if it's under Atlantic or Warner or anything like that, Capitol Records, I'm not exactly sure to be honest, so if it is under Universal, then hey, we could have a sales war, Um, personally, I think Drake would win that sales war, because Drake does numbers, like Drake is the highest selling rapper of the last decade, like it's clear as day, he's not only the biggest rapper in terms of popularity in the game, but he is arguably the biggest pop star in the game, so he's going to do numbers and he has yet to fall off when it comes to doing numbers like no rapper has done numbers like him ever like consist consistently sorry for all the Jay haters out there i'm sorry that, that that's just the reality of the situation you can attribute that to streaming whatever the case may be but regardless those are the numbers because he makes a type of music that crosses different genres as well So I don't know if anyone would want a sales war out of that. But regardless, if they were to all drop on the same day, I think it's good for the culture because they are the three biggest rappers of the last decade. From 2010 to 2019, they are the three rappers of their generation. Like Drake is the pop rapper. J. Cole is the uber hip hop rapper. And then Kendrick Lamar is somewhere in between. Easy. So... You know, I would say, you know, to that extent that it, it would still be good for hip hop regardless if they did fall on the same sales date. Because I don't think J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar, as artists at the very least, really care about sales numbers. Kendrick Lamar, when when he released Damn, that was the first time he ever went number one on the charts. Before then, he, he he's never debuted at number one before. Neither has J. Cole. So I don't think that's going to be a major issue for them. They just want to get the music out and we've been waiting for those for those artists to put out music for a long time now. Um Drake Drake's last album was Scorpion. That was almost 3 years ago now. Like he's released other projects in between, but like those are all like songs that he's done in the past that were not released any there are other EPs as well. If we're talking about J. Cole, the last solo album he released was KOD, which again came out in 2018, I believe. And since then, he he did Revenge of the Dreamers, and he's done a few features here and there. That's about it. Kendrick Lamar, last album he released was in 2017. That was Damn. Outside of that, he did the Black Panther album, which was a, a, a curated album on his behalf where he kind of looked over everything and added a verse here and there. But had other each other artists featured on there as well. So it's been a long time since we've heard a solo album from all three of those artists and they are high caliber artists. So I think, you know, the fans are at a fever pitch in wanting to know what is going on through the minds of all three artists. And, you know, I'm in that category as well because they are three of my favorites. So hopefully this rumor has some legs to it. But I would say if it's just a rumor, then I would say the most plausible out of those three would probably be be Drake because apparently Certified Lover Boy has been ready Since January. In fact, it was supposed to be released in January. So we'll see how it goes. Either way, I'm here for it. I'm going to listen to all three because I'm fans of all three, and this is what the game needs as far as I'm concerned. So now let's get to our final topic of Trip Talk, and that is Willow Smith. Now, Willow Smith was on Table Talk this week, and she made the announcement that she now identifies as polyamorous. Now, for those of you who don't know what polyamory is, polyamory is when you are in a relationship, a romantic relationship with multiple people. And this is a trend that has become a bit more popular within this decade, uh, amongst millennials especially. And a lot of people think that polyamory is just, you know, the, the freedom of having sex with multiple people who you're in. An open relationship with and that's not all that's cracked up to be there's a bit more that comes with polyamory um from what i've been told and also what i've just kind of you know did a little bit of digging and research on polyamory also extends into not only you know feeling that you are in love with more than one person but it's also about you know combining finances and resources um with all of your partners i guess in that regard Um, Because, again, this economy is tough. You know, it's been tough. The economy has been declining and it's been harder and harder for people to, you know, make income and what have you and to uh, live sustainably. And so some people see polyamory as an alternative to that. Just combining every partner's resources into, you know, a home and and being able to support that home and what have you. Now, when it comes to kids, I don't know how that's going to work out. I feel like that would be a little bit tricky. Um, but if you're talking about combining resources and what have you, I can understand why some people would see polyamory as an alternative. Um, but overall, when I got this, when, when we heard this announcement, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised. It's it's Willow Smith. Like the Smith children, Willow and Jaden, in particular, have been seen as these, <sighs> these precocious self-entitled philosophers, if you will. And I'm not saying self-entitled as as a bad thing per se, but I think the, I, I guess the proper word would not be self-entitled, but more self-proclaimed because, you know, we've seen them all throughout, you know, their time in the media and they've given out excerpts here and there about how they view the world, which is fine. Like everyone has their idea and what have you. But sometimes they try to sound a little bit too wise for their own good and they kind of come across as sounding a bit pretentious. I don't know if that's their their main MO and their main way of getting getting out their message, but they have come across as as pretentious from time to time. And it it just is what it is like. They're the children of famous Hollywood actors and personalities like the children of those people. If they are in the spotlight, tend to be very weird. And if they're not in the spotlight, they just live regular lives, as far as we're concerned. I mean, look at Chet Hanks. Guy is the biggest clown on the internet right now. But anyways, that's besides the point. But yeah, finding out about this news, I wasn't surprised. And when it comes to Willow and Jaden, sometimes I kind of got the the vibe that they were weird just for the sake of being weird, and how they are the kind of people who... Want to they want to conform to counterculture just so just so they can stand out. Like like the people who are not who ironically enough who conform to non conformity, like I I for a while they came across as those people. After a while, I just didn't really care. I'm like, you know, let them do them. I I'm I'm gonna be indifferent to them and what have you. Uh but for the longest time they gave me those vibes. They gave me those vibes of the non conformists who conform to non-conformity which is the biggest irony in the world in my opinion but hearing that about about willow i'm not surprised um seeing uh, uh jada jada's mom freak out to that and squirm to the idea of that was hilarious because of course she's from a different generation she's not gonna understand that and that's clear as day but my criticism to willow would be this Obviously, there are going to be people who are going to push back to your idea of how you want to live your life when it comes to polyamory. And so when people push back on that idea, don't be surprised and don't be upset because you knew that this was going to happen. You knew that they're going to react this way. And one of the main reasons why I wasn't surprised at this was because of the fact that last year was the summer of entanglement. We saw Will and and Jada's relationship play out before our very own eyes last summer was the summer of entanglement entanglement was the meme of the summer and i'm sure willow was embarrassed by that as she should be your parents are talking about how there was infidelity within their relationship and how their relationship was about to end and so you know if this is your idea as making sure that something like that doesn't ever happen again and you feel like polyamory is the best way that way There's communication on on all grounds through all partners. I mean, if that's what you really want to do, then great. But if that's a reaction to that whole fiasco, then I would take a step back and ask yourself, is that really what you want to do with, with, with your life romantically? I don't see it as a way of her sharing resources because she doesn't need to. Like, she has the money. She's well off. Even if she just wanted to date somebody and her partner didn't have nowhere near as much money as she does. I still don't see that as being a problem because she got money for days. She's a Smith at the end of the day, so I don't see it as a way of sharing resources. As as to the reason as to why she wants to get into polyamory, I think it's it's because of the fact that she wants to explore herself sexually and see where it goes. Again, Willow is still a young individual; like she's barely over twenty, if I'm not mistaken. I have no idea how old she is. I'm just still I'm thinking back to. I whip my hair back and forth. And she was like, what, nine or 10 years old at that time? That record came out 10 years ago. So what, she's 19, maybe 20 at most? She's still young. She's still trying to figure herself out. She'll probably get over this in a year or two. And hey, and even if she does stick with it, you know, five years from now, great, more power to her. That means that it's working for her. But at the end of the day, I'm not surprised that she's going this route. The entanglement thing probably fucked her up in some sort of way. And I, I get it, I get it. The generational trauma between her father and mother is what kind of led to that, in my personal opinion. She may uh, beg to differ, but that's where I'm seeing it from. But hey, that's my observation of the situation. We'll see how it all pans out. But overall, that's my thought on the scenario at hand. Now, we are almost at the end of the pod, ladies and gentlemen. And we cannot end a pod without doing the segment that you have been waiting to hear for the last hour or so. So with that in mind, <clears throat> who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the Captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. And this week's Wankster of the Week goes to none other than Kamala Harris, the Vice President of the United States, Madam Vice President of the United States, if you will. Now, the reason why she's getting the wankster of the week is because her and another politician, another black politician, I should say, I can't remember the guy's name. I don't care to research this guy's name because when I heard his speech, he sounded like a jackass. Um, But she is getting the wankster of the weekend alongside him because of the fact that they, as black individuals who are in very important positions of power, no less, stated to America and the rest of the world that America is not a racist country. (sighs) Okay, okay. So, this entire ordeal with George Floyd hasn't shown you how racist America has been and always will be. The entire ordeal with Breonna Taylor hasn't shown you how racist America has been and always will be. Hell, the incident at the Capitol at the beginning of the year hasn't shown you how racist America has and always will be. Donald Trump's entire presidential reign hasn't shown you how racist America can be has been, and will always will be. Really? Listen, I know that as politicians, you have to appeal to other politicians and other constituents, if you will. But to say that America is not a racist country with all the laws that you have that impede on the rights of visible minorities, the fact that the Asian community had to launch a campaign stating stop Asian hate so that elderly Asian people would stop being beaten and killed on the streets because of a virus that was not of their creation. The very fact that black people came together and created a movement called Black Lives Matter so that they could point out the rate at which black people are killed by 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 unarmed by 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 police and by black and and the fact that black people are are unarmed while they're being killed by police at a disproportionate rate you're telling me that after all that the fact that you have latinos mexicans specifically whose children are being put in cages as if they're in, as if they're in internment camps the fact that there is so much xenophobia that is aimed towards people who are who are of Arabic descent or people who uh, who belong to the uh, Islamic faith, you are telling me that after all that, and these are current events that are happening right now, current events, you're telling me that after all of that, with racial profiling, with, with redlining, you're telling me that after all of that, that, America is not a racist country? But then the joke is, the joke is that she points out that America has a racist history. So, which one is it, Kamala? Is it that America is not currently racist or that America has a racist history? Because that racist history that America has has continued on to this day. To this day. To this day. But no, seriously though, it has continued on to this day, it has persisted on to this day. It, this country has been built on the backs of slaves, on the backs of migrant workers who were paid next to nothing to build your railroad systems and to mine for gold. You took this country away from people who already inhabited it in the first place, made laws around it, and called it your own. And you're trying to tell the American people and the rest of the world that racism doesn't exist? Especially after we just witnessed the trial of the century in which a cop was found guilty on all three counts of murder on a black man who repeatedly said that I cannot breathe? Kamala, give yourself and that other jackass who's a senator the biggest wankster of the week and quite possibly the biggest wankster of the year for lying to the American people and for lying to the rest of the world that racism, especially in America of all places, does not exist. For a second... You almost sounded like the Prime Minister of Canada. (laughs) America doesn't have racism. If you don't stop. But speaking of stopping, we're going to stop today's episode, or this week's episode, rather. So I want to thank you all for tuning in. I apologize for the uh, two-week delay. And also, this episode is going to be a bit of a delay as well. You're probably going to get it on the Tuesday of this current week. Uh, But nonetheless... We will go back to our weekly schedule. As you already know, pods will always be up on Sundays. Might be even a little bit earlier from time to time, but Sundays is will is, is where you will expect the pod on a regular basis. Um, when we do have guests, I will keep you up, up to date on that, and I will let you know. But nonetheless, thank you all for tuning in as you always do. And as always, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Follow the pod on all socials at Cool Radio CC. We are up on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and uh, SoundCloud, so make sure you rate, make sure you subscribe, make sure you like as well, and we will be on Apple Podcasts soon enough. I will keep you up to date on that as well for all my Apple users, but nonetheless, keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.